The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Galatians chapter 2. Our focus will be verse 11 through 14, verse 11 through 14, but you can also keep your thumb in Galatians chapter 2 because I'm going to reference Acts 10 before that. Acts chapter 10, I'll look at before that. What we're going to be looking at in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, kind of continues with Paul having to argue for himself and the fact that he is an apostle. He's been doing this now for a couple chapters, and he talked about how this message had been given to him by God, not man, that the Lord Jesus had actually met him on the road, and the gospel was given to him by Jesus, which was one of the criteria for being an apostle. And then what we looked at last week is how he had went to Jerusalem, that he had talked with Peter, James, and John, and shared with them the gospel message. And last Sunday evening, what we saw was that the apostles had given him the right hand of fellowship, that they had said, yes, the, the Lord has given you the gospel to go to the Gentiles, uh, to, to share with the Gentiles, and we are on board. What you are doing is exactly what we are doing with the Jews. And so we see this great fellowship taking place at the end, and they encourage Paul, just remember the poor, just, just remember the needy. And Paul says, that's exactly what I was wanting to do. And so we see that they were just in step, that they were in line, that they were together. And so today we kind of continue that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. But before we read in Galatians, I, I do want to warn you because again, Paul seems kind of aggressive here in what he is going to do, but I want you to realize that it's not aggressive and it's not unloving. Exact, actually, the exact opposite is the truth. What Paul does here is one of the most loving things that we can do, and that is pointing people to the gospel, pointing people to the truth of the gospel message. And sometimes, you know, maybe we seem overbearing to people, if we're reminding them, man, is, is that what God's word tells us to do? You know, I'll just be quiet. You know, you're just thumping me with the Bible. Well, we can kind of have that attitude sometimes, I think, where we're just being rude about it. We're being arrogant maybe about it. And we are approaching it in that way. But as Christians, our motivation should be love and service to the Lord. And so when we see somebody, especially if it's a fellow believer, getting out of line, the most loving thing that we can do is to deal with it, is, is to approach it. It's been very interesting for me, but as I've been preaching more regularly, one of the comments that I get the most from people is, man, you're pretty direct. You're pretty direct, and I am. I mean, that's just kind of my nature. Uh, that was the household that I grew up in. You said what you thought, and that was it. And they might say, well, I don't like that. Okay, whatever. I at least said what I needed to say. And what I, what I hope that you understand is that in me being direct, the reason for me being direct is because I believe God's word is truth. And the hardest thing for pastors or the hardest thing for Christians as we try to disciple somebody or we try to help them grow in their relationship with the Lord is to watch them make dumb decisions that are unbiblical or to watch them go down a path that is very scary 
and is very dangerous. I mean, the only way that I can think about it is if, if I were to see one of my children walking on the edge of a cliff, I'm not just going to ho-hum over there and be like, eh, you know, it'd be really nice if you would come this way. You know, it might be wise to choose to come with dad over here. Absolutely not. I'm going to run over there and I'm going to grab them by the shirt. And to be honest with you, I'll probably scare them half to death in doing it. But why am I doing it? I'm doing out of great love for them. I see the danger that is taking place here and I don't want that to happen. And so to me to coddle them in that situation would be foolish for me as a parent. I dare say you, you would tell me you are a bad parent if you don't go and get them. What Paul is addressing here today is what we're gonna see is Paul addresses Peter in this way because Peter starts to walk on the cliff. He's walking on the cliff and he is teaching something that is wrong. He is teaching something that is contrary to the gospel that has been agreed upon even. And so Paul needs to deal with it. And before looking at what Peter does, I want us to look at Acts chapter 10. And I'm gonna read sections of Acts chapter 10. So just kind of, Follow along with me. I'll probably read verse 1 through 15, and then I'm going to jump on over to verse 44. In Acts chapter 10, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened. And an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, the rest of that chapter, what happens is uh, Cornelius and Peter <clears throat> end up coming together. They, they find each other and Peter starts to preach the gospel in Cornelius' household. And so as we get to verse 44, Peter is preaching this gospel. And then it says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water? 
that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. The reason I want us to read Acts chapter 10 this morning is because I want you to see the dramatic event that has taken place in Peter's life and the dramatic understanding that he had of the gospel message all of a sudden. Before this, the gospel was to be to Jewish people. But now all of a sudden, Peter has this Gentile man coming to him, right, saying, well, the Lord has told me to go here. Peter then goes with it, starts to share the gospel with this household of Gentiles. And before they're circumcised, before they agree to the law, the Holy Spirit rains down on them. God, uh, Peter sees God's grace poured out into their life. And his response is very simple. Who here would forbid us from now baptizing them? Who here would say that they are not saved by the grace of God, even though they are Gentiles? So Peter is realizing the depth, the width of the gospel message of, that it's to be of all nations. He gets to see firsthand God start this process that the church of Jesus Christ would be of, of all nations, of all people, not just the Jewish people, but, but of all people. And so Peter had this happen to him and it had to be a remarkable situation. It had to be a remarkable thing for him to witness. All right, now let's look at Galatians chapter two, verse 11 through 14. That's enough background. It says, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews. Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? I want us to see a, a few things this morning, four different sections, but the first one is in verse 12, the very beginning of verse 12. I want us to see Peter's liberty in the Lord and the unity that he had with the church in the Lord. This is in Antioch. And so in Antioch, all is well. Antioch is actually Paul's home church. It's the first church he started. This would have been his home place where he would have been. And Peter goes there. He makes the journey to Antioch, which was a pretty good journey. And he gets there and it, we see that Peter joins in with the church and he's having a great time. The whole church is having a great time. They're communing together. They're eating together. They're worshiping together. No doubt they're having communion together, Jew and Gentile alike, coming together and being bonded together in the grace of the Lord. A great picture of what the church should be. This must have been just a glorious time, must have been a, a wonderful time and a fantastic time for this church. You, I hope, have been a part of this before, but when the Lord blesses us with gospel unity, it really is an amazing feeling. It really is a wondrous experience to come together with other people in the Lord and to be united, worshiping him, praising him, just, just really being together. And, and when we have these times, we, we should enjoy these times. We should thank God 
for these times because it really is a blessing when it happens because we all know how easy it is for one of us to mess up that unity. And so when God, by his great grace, brings together 100, 200, 300, 400, whatever it may be, people, and you just have this sense of unity together in Jesus, man, what a glorious time that is. What an awesome experience that is. And we should thank God for those experiences, but also we should strive for those times. We should strive to have unity. We should strive for that with other Christians because I think if we're honest, a lot of times we're the ones getting in the way of the unity. Have you ever had that before where you had a big problem with somebody? You walked up to them, you finally got the guts, you're gonna tell them what's happening and they're like, I had no idea that was even happening. So who was it? It was you all along. It was you who had the issue uniting. But Peter and the church of Antioch were just having a great time together, united together, loving each other how they are supposed to. But sadly, verse 12 doesn't end with that. It continues on. And we see Peter's hypocrisy start to come out. Because when James, when some people came from James and they came to the church and they got there, I don't know, maybe... Maybe they heard Peter was there and they said, you know what? We're going to go see what's going on. We're going to go see why Peter is up there. I'm not sure of why they came, but it says they come from James and all of a sudden we see Peter change. Do we not? Before he's eating with the Gentiles, he's worshiping with the Gentiles. But then when these people show up, it says Peter withdraws himself and he actually separates himself from the Gentiles, fearing these people who had come. And so after Peter's liberty and his unity with the church, all of a sudden his hypocrisy creeps in. Now we need to define this word hypocrisy. I think it's very important for us to do that. And in the commentary preaching the word, this is what it says. And I think this is a good, a good sum up of hypocrisy. It says, from the way the word is often used on the evening news or political talk shows, you get the impression that a hypocrite is anyone who fails to live up to his or her ideals. In other words, they don't practice what they preach. But hypocrisy isn't simply failing to live up to what you believe. That's sin for sure, but it's not the particular sin of hypocrisy, nor is it what Paul accuses Peter and the other Jews of doing. When we live out our gospel convictions in one situation, but then cover them up in another situation, that is hypocrisy. It's important for us to catch that difference, I think. I think there's a big, a big difference there. Hypocrisy is when we, we know the grace of God, we know the gospel message, but yet in this situation over here, we're gonna push that aside because of fear, because of whatever it may be. We're gonna say no to that at that moment and play a different part. And that's exactly what we see Peter doing in this situation. He knows the grace of God is for Jew and Gentile alike. He lived this out. I mean, we read Acts chapter 10, didn't we not? I mean, he had that experience and now he's in Antioch worshiping with believers. But then all of a sudden, all of this changes. Peter stops the unity. He stops being with the Gentiles. And it's not like, it's not just a shunning of them. It's a a separation, a complete separation of not having anything to do with them anymore. And in doing that, Peter sins against the body of Christ. He sins against 
the church. Now, don't get me wrong. There is not a single Christian in here that can live up to what we believe. We just can't. We cannot live up to that. You're never going to live up to that standard. That is why we preach and teach what the Bible says. We need the grace of Jesus in our life because we cannot live up to that standard. It is a desperate attempt when we try to live up to that standard. All it does is drive us down more. But as people saved by the grace of God, we are to strive to live what we believe. We are. We are called to do that. But what we see in the law, what we know that we're supposed to do, we also know our flesh oftentimes fails. This is why you will hear people say, you know, the church is full of hypocrites, of which we as church people can agree to that to an extent because we say, well, yeah, but that's not the hypocrite that we're talking about here. I am going to fail living up to what I believe. I am going to fall short. I'm going to sin and and I'm going to strive to get rid of that sin. But if you're watching me all the time, you're going to see fail. You're going to see a failure. But that's not the hypocrite that we're talking about. The hypocrisy that that we need to point out here that Peter is living is a hypocrisy to where we are Christians here, but not Christians there. Or I'm a Christian here, but when my, when my friend comes here, I don't know you anymore. Because you're my Christian friends. You're my school friends. You're my work buddies. These are my boys that I go to the cabin with. These are my Christian friends I go to the conference with. You get what I'm saying? There is a, there's a difference there. In just trying to be faithful living the Christian life as opposed to being a Christian When we want to be, many of you know what being a hypocrite comes from, wearing a mask. An actor plays the part of hypocrite when they would put the mask on and act like a wolf or whatever it may be. They're playing the hypocrite. This is Peter. These men come to the church and all of a sudden Peter switches sides. Well, I'm gonna go off with these guys. They're more influential. They're people maybe I've known for a long time. They're not gonna like that I'm hanging out with you. We had a good run. It's been a good week. It's been a good couple weeks, but I don't know you anymore. I don't know you anymore. And we have to ask this question, why is this the case? Why, why do we struggle with this? Why do we do this? Now, this will be tonight's sermon if we have time for a sermon tonight with our praise and ministry report. If not, it'll be in an evening service coming up. But I wanna look at that because I, I, I think there's four reasons that we do this. Number one, I think sometimes we don't really believe the truth. I think we say that we're Christian, but I don't think we really believe it in our heart. There's a lot of head knowledge of who Jesus is, of what the Bible says, but there's not much conviction. There's not much heart knowledge. I mean, even Satan himself has all the head knowledge in the world. There's no heart knowledge at all. And so I think one of the things we have to ask is, do I really believe this truth or do I turn from it all the time because I don't really believe it? The second thing is I think sometimes we fear man more than God. This might have been Peter's situation where I'm scared of what my boss will do. I'm scared of what my wife will think. I'm scared of what my husband will say if I pray. I'm scared of what's going to happen in these situations if I live out the faith that I have more so than I am of God. Having a fear of man more than God can lead us into 
hypocrisy. But then on the flip side of that, sometimes we love man more than we love God. I've met a lot of people in my life who are scared to death of God. That doesn't mean they love God. They're just scared of him because they've been taught he'll send you to hell. He'll strike you with a disease, right? He'll do this, he'll do that. But they don't, they don't love the Lord. And so we fall more in love with the things of the world than we do with, with God when, when he should be the whole source of our love. He should be the focus of all of our satisfaction. And we should direct all of our love to him. And then the last thing, I'll share with tonight more in depth is sometimes we just simply do not understand the importance of our actions. And that's what leads us to verse 13 of Peter's teaching. And you might say, well, Peter never taught anything. Well, look at what happens in verse 13. It says, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. You see, Peter had great influence within the church. He was an influencer. And you talk about and think about all the things that Peter had witnessed, what he had experienced in his life. Peter had an amazing life. I mean, he was taught by Jesus himself. Peter was the one who had enough guts to step out of the boat and walk on water. I mean, imagine that experience. If, I, I dare say we've all tried it before. Running off the dock, see how long I can run on this water. Not very long. Peter won that race. Peter also cursed the Lord. Peter also had the privilege of seeing the risen Lord. In fact, Peter even got to see the transfiguration on the mountain to see the glory of Christ. Peter was the one who would preach at Pentecost and it would say thousands would come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior through that. Peter had the privilege of seeing the Holy Spirit fall at Cornelius' house on these Gentiles. Peter was an influencer. What Peter said, what Peter did had an impact on the people around him. But in this instance, and I want you to hear this, no matter what Peter had taught, maybe he had an opportunity at Antioch to teach and to preach when he was with these people. No matter what he taught, no matter what he said, all got washed away when those people saw his actions. Because when they saw his actions, it was actually one of the worst teaching moments of Peter's life. Because what it did is it took all the Jews who were there and they all followed Peter. They all separated with Peter. And now, if I'm a Gentile believer and I see all this happening, I don't know what I feel at that moment. Probably anger, probably confusion, sadness. Thinking, I, I just had you at my house yesterday and now you won't even look at me? Not, now you won't even talk to me. Peter's influence was so great that it led Barnabas astray. And Barnabas is no slouch. Barnabas would travel with Paul, would do all these works. He wasn't some weak Christian, but yet because of Peter's influence and Peter's teaching, he was led astray, not by Peter's words, but by Peter's actions and what he would do. As we serve the Lord, something that we have to understand is that people are watching us that people are learning from the things that we are doing. Matthew would say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. 
What does it say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are called to good works when we are saved by the grace of God. No, no, we're not saved by our works. I've been preaching that all through Galatians. But when we are saved by God's grace, the result of that must be good works in our life. It must be action. It must be serving the Lord faithfully. We let people see the changes that God has made in our life and we live that out. We speak that truth. If you know the truth, it impacts the way you live. It impacts your life. There's, there's no if and or buts about it. If Jesus has died for my sins, if God by his grace has poured Christ's righteousness on, onto me so that he no longer sees Tim and, and my sin and my shame and my guilt, but now he sees his son Christ's perfectness on me, then what I need to do with my life is to serve him every day to serve him every day with joy, with gladness, no matter the situation that I'm in. So that if I'm in the, in the worst situation I could find myself in in this earth, I can still look up to the Lord and say, but God, I find joy in what you have done for me through Christ. Help me to faithfully endure this. Help me to faithfully endure this. Or to maybe not live my life for vacation because I live my life for the Lord. I catch that all the time in my life. I don't know if you do. But I work really hard to have leisure time. I work really hard to have downtime. And what I find is when my downtime gets interrupted, I get really angry. And what does that tell me? I'm starting to find my joy in leisure time. Not in Jesus. Not in the things that he has given me. So we must remember that we are to serve the Lord. If the truth has happened in our life, it will show. And so our actions and how we spend our time will show what we believe. James chapter one, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only because you deceive yourself if you don't do that. Our time really is our most prized possession. So what we give our time becomes important to us. I think it used to be said oftentimes if you want to see what's important to you, look at your checkbook. I kind of think that's still appropriate, but I think more so is I dare you to look at your calendar. And not the fake one that you write out of all the things you hope to do, the real one of what you did. Because we all have our hopes, but then we all have our real one, right? And, and so I've caught myself numerous times, man, I have such a busy day today, why did I just take a half an hour nap? I dare, I'm guessing you've been there before as well. Or why did I just waste so much time on the computer? Or how did I have, have time to watch a movie? And so when we look at our calendar, when we look at our time, I think we have to ask ourselves, does our actions reflect what we believe to be truth in God's word? Because if Peter was to do this at that moment, it didn't match up. It didn't match up. Two weeks on his calendar, spend time with the Gentile church. Love them, serve them, fellowship with them. The next week, shun them. Don't talk to them. Spend time only with Jews. That, 
That doesn't match up. There's something wrong with his calendar. There's something wrong going on in Peter. And so what we see happen in verse 14 is Paul's rebuke. Paul says, I couldn't sit there. I couldn't watch what was happening because what was happening was the gospel was being distorted. What Peter was doing to these Gentile believers that I have poured my life into, that God has saved by his grace, is he was teaching them, you are not God's children. You are not saved by God's grace. That, that's what Paul was teaching these people by his, or Peter was teaching these people by his actions. And so Paul says, I confronted Peter before everybody. Before everybody who was present, I confronted him. And he didn't confront him in the easiest way. He goes up to him and he says, hey, Peter, so, so you can live like a Gentile? You can do everything that Gentiles do? but then you're gonna turn around and teach something different that they're not good enough for the gospel? You really think that's the right way to live, Peter? Now, there's no drawing in my Bible of Peter's face, but I'd love to see it. I'd love to know what the room felt like at that moment. I would imagine there was a lot of tension all of a sudden. Everybody was like, oh, I wish I could get out of here. Wish I could just kind of scoot back to the back. But all that tension, all that uneasiness needed to happen because it was out of line what Peter was doing. It was not in step with the gospel. And that's really what that phrase means. It means not in step. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing with the gospel, Peter. You are not living out this message that God's grace is for sinners, that they don't earn it that it's poured out on them by the grace of God. And so Paul rebukes Peter. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before of where you had to rebuke somebody because of the gospel. Let me preface that. Some of us are good at rebuking people for everything, but, but for the sake of the gospel. But it's a very touchy thing because first we must examine ourselves before we do that and say, where is this coming from? Is this coming from the right place? Is this coming out of love for them, out of love for the other people here, out of a love for God's word? Or is this coming because I just wanna make them seem little? Is this coming because I'm just angry at the moment? Right, we really have to check ourselves before we do it. But when we, when we feel like, yes, God, this is something that you would have me do, man, it's a difficult thing to do. To go up to somebody that you love and that you care for to say, hey, what you are doing is not right. You've got to know that because most of the time they don't respond very well. Most of the time, the way that they respond is, is hurtful to us. But when we're doing it for the right reasons, we, we take that hurt. We bear that burden. We carry that cross and we keep going how we should. We keep loving them. But sometimes when we rebuke them, it gets very difficult. One of my prayers for this morning's message, just kind of in wrapping this up, is maybe this is the rebuke that we need in our lives as individuals this morning. Are we in step with the gospel message? Are we really living it out fully in every situation? Does your life show off the grace of God? Does it? When people think about you, 
when they, when they hear your name, is the first thing that kind of rolls off their tongue is, man, they are a good person. They are a loving person. They are a person filled with grace. Is that, is that how we are heard? Is that how we are seen? Because that's what we're called to be. If the truth of God's word is real in my life, then man, I should pour out grace on people all the time. All the time. When people hear, you, do you know Tim? Oh yeah, he, man, he's so kind. He, he gives people chances. You know, or, or whatever. You should hear those things about ourselves. I saw a thing on social media this week and I, I honestly really thought it was interesting. I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but it said, research shows that the majority of non-Christians are Democrats. But yet us as Christians, all we do is talk bad about them. How are we ever going to win them over to the Lord when all we do is talk bad about them? Never show them any grace, never show them any love. Would you go to somebody's house who constantly called you a fool, a moron, a blind person, idiot? I wouldn't. Or maybe I have and I just don't know it. But these are the things that I'm talking about. Not that we don't speak out and stand for truth, but what is our motivation behind it? What is our goal in doing it? Paul's goal here was unity again, was bringing back unity, not kicking Peter out, but bringing him back, bringing the church back to how it should be, how it needs to be. Is that our motivation in the life that we live? Are we living in a way that we want to see unity within the church and we want the outside world to see that unity in such a way that it draws them in? That it draws them into the gospel? That it draws them in to believing in who Jesus is and then living out those truths? Because if we're not living in that way, if that hasn't been our goal, if that hasn't been our motivation, then my prayer for you this morning is that you hear this rebuke. Why would you live like the world, but then preach to them that they must live up to some standard? Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop being that person. If you've been saved by the grace of God, then show people grace. Love them. Share with them the truths of God's word. Don't hide from that. Share with them the truths of God's word. And then live out your faith in a way that they see that it's real that they see the gospel has impacted you. And this is how God works in non-believers' life. This is how we do evangelism, by being faithful to that every single day. You know, one of the things that bugs me the most when I work with our state convention is they ask a question, and it just drives me crazy. Well, you know, what, what event can we do? What strategy can we come up with to get our people, our churches doing evangelism. You know, what cute saying can we do? The ABCs of the gospel, the, the Roman road. The new one is, you know, my moment is a big one in Michigan right now. You've probably never heard of any of these things. It's okay. And the reason it bugs me so much, much is because God has clearly given us his strategy. Christians, just be faithful where you're at. 
living out the truth that you believe that God has poured out his grace in you. If you do that faithfully every day, I promise you God will work in your life and in your heart and in the people around you. I have no doubt in it because that's what God's word tells us. There's no fancy strategy I can show you to draw three circles on, an envelope, on a napkin. That's good. I'm not saying it's wrong to learn those things, but there's no power in those things. There's only power in the gospel message that God has given us. And there's power in the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit works through us to impact those around us. Are you living that way? Are you faithful to that calling? I hope you are. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. God, this morning, I'm thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for how it's worked in my life this week of just thinking about how to live this gospel message out faithfully in all situations. It really has been timely for me. And so I thank you for that. But God, I pray for us as a church. I pray that you would help us to be people who live out what we believe. And God, I pray that we would all look individually into our hearts and really ask, do I, do I believe this message of grace or do I just know about it? God, I know that's a hard question and I'm not trying to make anybody here doubt their salvation or anything like that. But I think that's a serious question we need to ask. Do I really believe this truth of the gospel? Because God, I, I know that if we believe that, it changes who we are. It changes our life drastically. And so God, I pray that we would be a church who loves you, who serves you, who's faithful to you. And God, that we would just be cemented on your word that we would believe it and that it would be practiced in our ministries, that it would be practiced in our budgets and it would be practiced in every facet of our church. Because God, that's your strategy. That's your strategy for church growth. That's your strategy for personal growth. That's what you've given us. And so God, help us to believe it and help us to live it out faithfully each and every day. God, I'm thankful that it's by grace that I am saved through faith, not of works. Because God, I would fail miserably. And so God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he has done for us. God, as we sing this song, I pray that it would be praise to you. As we close out our service, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.